Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Benjamin Percy to read from his new book, The Ninth Metal. But before I introduce him, I want to remind you that Skylight Books is now open, and come on by. Like, Keep a look on our website for changes in hours in the next uh, couple weeks, but we're fully open, and we're, we're so excited to see you. We're also still offering curbside pickups and online ordering. So please visit our website, www.skylightbooks.com and come on and you can order your books and still come on by and check us out. Benjamin Percy has won a, a winning award, a Plimpton Prize, two Pushcart Prizes and an NEA Fellowship and the iHeartRadio Award for Best Scripted Podcast. He's the author of the novels, The Ninth Metal, The Unfamiliar Garden, The Dark Net, The Dead Lands, Red Moon, and The Wilding, three-story collections, and an essay collection, Thrill Me. He also writes Wolverine and X-Force for Marvel Comics. He lives in Minnesota with his family. Ben, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk. No, I'm excited to have you, and it's, uh, it's going to be, I'm excited for this episode. So you have a reading for us today? Yeah, I'm going to read from the Ninth Medal. The book that comes out on June 1st and Ooh, I thought I'd, I'd jump into the, the middle of it and give you some some juicy meteor shower action. I'm excited. <laughs> so we can talk more about the book later but you know the, the basic premise is that a comet comes streaking through our solar system. We spin through the debris field and it introduces to our world new elements. And these disrupt uh, the laws of physics, the laws of biology, and upend the geopolitical theater. Um, so I'll, with that little contextual aside, uh, here we go. At some point, you read a bedtime story to your child for the last time. At some point, you run through a sprinkler or hit a home run or stand on your head for the last time. At some point, you go from hating to tolerating to loving to requiring coffee. At some point, you go from grieving a lost parent to remembering him or her fondly. Most transitions are gentle and unrecognized and individual. This one was violent and collective. 
everyone could point to the same date on the calendar and say, then, that was when everything changed. In Northern Minnesota, the night birds went silent. Worms and salamanders twisted out of the dirt. Cats yowled in yards and dogs whimpered under beds. Some people suffered from sudden migraines and others noticed their fillings tanging their mouths with the taste of metal and others shook their cell phones and said, hello, can you hear me? Hello. And then the sky fell. The meteors, some the size of golf balls, hailed down one after the other a constant fusillade. Some were as big as zeppelins and knuckled up huge mounds of earth spiked with woods. Trees splintered and caught fire as though struck by cannonballs. Silos opened up and spilled their grain in a hissing rush. Lakes splashed and chimneyed with steam. Houses vanished. A woman named Jessica Peterson was driving a semi north along Highway 1, hauling a tank full of milk. She leaned over the steering wheel, craning her neck to take in the sky. The radio fuzzed in and out country music, Bible-thumping preachers, news reports, a chaotic babble. She spun the dial until it settled on classic rock. The station was running a theme show, a comet countdown. David Bowie's star man gave way to Zeppelin's stairway to heaven. A hula girl was anchored to the dash. The paint on her belly was worn away because Jessica liked to rub it for luck. And she rubbed it now, but it was too late for luck. She didn't see the meteor itself, only the crown of fire-edged asphalt rising before her. A crater had opened in the road and she couldn't break fast enough. The semi chunked over the lip of rubble and descended into the sudden pit. The grill struck the far side of it and the semi accordioned with the doom and shriek of rent metal. The tires melted and the milk glugged out of the fissured tank and formed a scalding pond that boiled and steamed. A man named Paul Weitz was washing dishes after dinner while his daughters watched television in the living room. They kept complaining about the quality of the picture and he kept telling him if it's so horrible shut it off and get your butts to bed he added more soap to suds up the water and scraped some dried yolk off a plate with his fingernail and then noticed that the half and quarter full glasses on the counter beside him were trembling water shivered inside them their rims chimed against each other he looked out the window in time to see the shining paths of a dozen or more meters meteors he charged into the living room and scooped up his daughters with his soap-splattered hands just as the house began to shake. Holes opened in the ceiling and the floor. Cinders splintered the air. He dodged between columns of short-lived light, and when he glanced up, he could see rough patches of the sky. His daughters were screaming when he laid them in the bathtub and covered their body with his and said, it's going to be okay. Daddy will keep you safe. Ken Pierce was out on Miner's Lake in his V-Sport cruiser. He had a six-pack of hams on ice in the cooler and a pole baited with a leech in the water. Fish probably wouldn't be biting this time of night, but what the hell, here he was, waiting on the meteor shower to get going, so he might as well try his luck. When the sky began to streak and strobe, so did the reflective surface of the water, so he felt he was floating inside a globe of shaken stars.
The air trembled with the thunder of sonic booms and cratered moorings so Ken didn't hear the water splashing and plopping all around him as fish leaped, crazed by what was happening. He spilled his beer when a walleye flopped into his lap. One sunfish and then another smacked the deck. A trout arched over the railing and rattled directly into the ice-filled cooler. And on a 400-acre lot, 30 miles outside of North Fall, a quick succession of impacts pounded the earth. Not much remained of the Gunderson's maple forest but scorched stumps and burning leaves. The displaced dirt had nudged the foundation of the house up on one side so that it sat crookedly, but it was otherwise spared. Its windows had shattered. Some of the vinyl siding had melted, bricks still fell from the chimney, water gurgled from a broken pipe. One meteor hit close to the house and produced a splash of molten metal like a muddy wave of lava, and the little boy named Hawken was slammed by the final burning reach of it. He barely had time to throw up his arm before it struck him. His scream was silenced before it ever left his mouth. He went rolling across the lawn, cowled in red-hot metal. The lawn scorched and smoked beneath him. His clothes and hair were incinerated. He lay there for several minutes, his body tremoring, and the metal cooled to a silver sheen that slowly shrank to patches like puddles drying in the sun before being absorbed into his skin entirely. He went still and then arose with a gasp, deep and hungry. He looked it around at a landscape that was unrecognizable, all smoke and fire and what looked like some hellish lake, a massive silver reach veined through with red. He ran then into the night. He had forgotten about his parents. He'd forgotten his name. For the moment, he was nothing but fried nerve endings and he had no plan except to escape the pain that seemed centered in this place. He would later be discovered wandering naked down the middle of the highway with a blank look on his face. When asked what had happened, he could only say, the sky fell on me. Wow, that was a question. Are you doing the audiobook for this? Because that was amazing. Oh, you... No, I, you know, I did the audiobook for Red Moon, one of my previous mm -hmm. novels, uh, but this one is being done by a true professional, um, an actor, <laughs> And author Julia Whelan, who's done some of my favorite audiobooks. Uh, oh, everything from Educated to Four Winds. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I'm excited to hear their voice too, but your voice was just, you have the voice that I imagine like Paul Bunyan has in my head. And so I'm just like, what I'm saying is, Disney, get the omelets. Disney, come on, let's do this. Well, well, I, mean, I would be happy to play a Pixar villain. A Pixar villain. <laughs> I feel like there, should, there could be a villain Paul Bunyan tale, right? Like, you know, they're doing like the, the origin stories for all these other um, Disney villains. Let's let's I'll add this Paul. on there. I'll be Paul. I'll be, I'll be the big blue ox. I don't care. Let's go. Let's. You know what? I'm. I feel like we might know some people at Disney. Let's talk to them. Yeah. Um, no, thank you for that reading. It was great. Um, so to start off our conversation, this is a this is a question I love to ask um, authors when they come on. What are you? I mean, with this past year, that's been crazy and might be coming to an end but who knows right it's it's tough to say but like what if what is what like is something you read watched or listened to that like kind of gave you some 
comfort in this time or just like took you out of this world for even a, a, a minute, a day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had, usually my New Year's resolutions are uh, sort of medicinal, like mm -hmm. this is good for you, this is vegetables. And, right. and I, I always fail at them. This year I decided to, to push myself to, to do things that just made me feel good. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was, you know, go skiing with my kids every weekend this winter. That's nice. I did that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and one of the others was watch two movies a week. And, oh, that's nice. and always find an excuse to work instead. And, and right. doing that. And, and also I had, you know, a stack of books that I've been meeting to work my way through, but I, I was always doing homework books instead. Mm -hmm. Books I felt I ought to read, but this is, right. this is one of those. This is one of those vacation books, and, right. and I grabbed it and gobbled it up. And everybody that I mentioned it to, and I mentioned it to anybody who will listen, nobody's read it. And right now, maybe it was just because I was in a COVID state of mind, right, uh, and more vulnerable to to you know narrative manipulation, um, mm. and just eager to be entertained. But exactly. this book is right now, it's, it just exists in my top 10. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's called The First 15 Lives of Harry August. And it's written by Claire North. Ooh. So the premise is, is this. Um, Harry August keeps dying and being mm -hmm. reborn, which, you know, has a Groundhog Day feel to it. Right? Right. But it, the, the, the difference is this. It's always at the exact same moment uh, when he's born. You know, so he's born in this railway station. His mother's giving birth. She dies. It's always that moment he comes back to. And he lives a full life and lives it again and lives it again. And, and the thing is that he starts to realize that there are others like him out there. And not just mm -hmm. others like him in his timeline, but others like him throughout all time. Oh, and wow. so they form this thing called the Cronus Club. So imagine somebody who's 75 on their deathbed and a four-year-old girl walks up to this mm -hmm. grandma. And that four-year-old girl might actually be 500 years old, right? right. Because she's lived and died over and over again. And so yeah. she tell this 75-year-old guy what happens, let's say she lives to be 90. So she yeah. can tell him what happens 90 years in the future. He can then be die and be born again 75 years in the past and know what mm -hmm. happened, not just 75 years in the future, but 90 years beyond that and so on. So they have an understanding of history. They communicate mm -hmm. with each other. And what they start to understand is that the world is ending sooner and sooner. Oh wow! But it's it's not just fascinating for the high concept yeah. element of the pure escapism. It also was just delightful because it makes you. I think everybody had this experience during the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? You sort right. of reassess, you reassess your life. You ask yourself, "This is I've had this life prior to the pandemic, and now I've mm -hmm. had this bunker down period. When I come out of it, how how am I going to change?" change you know things right I'm gonna change the course. and that's exactly the question harry's asking himself every time he's reborn it's like what's going to be our next you know life the next cycle of life for us what's what's post-pandemic life look like for us how are we going to change in it now this to like not to jump into like because i want to talk about your work in marvel but this actually reminded me of the x-men character moira mctaggart is that that's exactly right yeah yeah the, the elements in the x-men yeah, I mean, like, it's so interesting to see that kind of, like, I mean, it just, the, the similar in that storytelling there, but it, 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 that was one thing I remember from um, one of the more recent X-Men uh, issues that, like, I was like, oh, this is a very interesting storyline, because it does have that, like, 
and keep she keeps coming back and she makes different choices and she every is trying time, to figure out every time the mutants die every time yeah. the human, humans destroy the mutants right and, you know one of the cool things about being part of this new dawn of x-men right mm -hmm. now that right the speculative fiction like some of the best speculative stories they're they're usually mm -hmm. drawn from the moment the tenor of a moment you know right taking a knife to the nerve of the moment everything mm -hmm. from frankenstein you know being about the industrial revolution and man playing right. god science pure mm -hmm. science technology to invasion of the body snatchers being about the red scare and McCarthy. Mm -hmm. and if if you look at what we're doing with the x-men right now it's not just me it's you know a big group of us writing on yeah. the next title mm -hmm. here's moira over and over again dying here's the mm -hmm. you know, mutants trying to figure out how can they secure the future and the mutants in marvel have always stood in for you know discussions of xenophobia mm -hmm. uh, of of marginalization mm -hmm. uh, otherness and you know if you look at what's happening in the country right now uh there are everything if you look at everything from me too to black lives matters right people are saying enough and saying that's enough and right. and essentially that's what's happening in the x-men is through moira they found a vehicle for standing up and saying that's enough yeah and forming their own nation mm -hmm. and and essentially declaring sovereignty over humankind and reminding humans that they're like oh you need us like you need us as much as we as much as we you don't allow us to exist you're forgetting that like you need us <laughs> no it's it's which is like yeah you're right it's it's that kind of um emotion in these movements too it's like hey you're you're terrorizing us but you also are taking from us constantly whether it be like from black culture from asian culture from uh from what uh all that women have done in this world for um everything and the importance of women like and just the importance of like uh queer people of all these different people who are making movements in the world that are still being terrorized by the idea of xenophobia and marginalization and all this stuff no it's i know marvel i mean x-men one of my favorite jokes in like a, a movie is when deadpool in the second deadpool where he's like oh x-men which is just like an antiquated uh, metaphor for the civil rights movements and it's just like or i'm misquoting it but it was along that line i'm just like it's, it's a discourse yeah it's just it's like it's i mean deadpool said it best he's like he's right i mean but he's also like it's it it i especially the new stuff that they're doing is very like oh wow this is i'm i just remember seeing a lot of my friends talk about how like oh this is it this is what we've been waiting for with x-men for the longest time well, i mean it would always be a cool time to write the x-men but i feel especially lucky to be putting a dent in it right now exactly no i i mean not exactly as i'm like yeah you're right and saying this is what you should be saying no i mean like exactly in the sense of like i could only imagine it would be that like it's so it just must be so cool to be in this new era of the x-men of being like that's enough and which is like so important to see um and even talking about your book there kind of of books that like or works uh speculative fiction that kind of is taking on what society is going through it's so crazy that like your book right now is kind of like it's 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 about like what humanity um 
I mean, from my perspective, it's about what humanity, how humanity would act in the face of a crisis, which is like, I mean, this past year has been what, how humanity will act in the face of a crisis. So, I mean, the first thing I, I thought about with your novel was like, oh, this is so relevant to everything happening right now. Did you see, I mean, how could I, I can't even say, did you see that coming? Cause like how, but like, how is it having this book come out in a couple of weeks from, I mean, by the time the podcast is out, it'll be already be out, but like having this book come out and me, I don't know, just this event after or in the midst of this event. I mean, I mean, I can contextualize in a few different ways and one is through comic books. You know, I, you know I've been writing mm -hmm. for comics since 2014. Mm -hmm. And I'll probably riff about that later as well. But, you know, yeah. uh, writing for DC, Green Arrow, Batman, Teen Titans, Nightwing, jumping over to Marvel, writing Wolverine, writing the X-Force, mm -hmm. part of the X-Group. Um, and, and, and those characters, I'm a custodian of them, right? Um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a so much fun to live in that sandbox and play in that right. sandbox but they don't belong to me so this is in a way my attempt to create my own dc or marvel universe you know and the trigger event is this comet the comet allows me to create a new world within our world mm -hmm. and and you know it's a new dawn of heroes and villains i guess you could say yeah um, and you know i was looking at northern minnesota mm -hmm. as as the stage for this first book and and that's what we're here to talk about. But there mm -hmm. are other books coming, right? It's called The Comet yeah. Cycle. It's not a yes. trilogy. It could actually be, in, this is an infinitely generative mm -hmm. uh, sort of foundation for a story. Um, mm -hmm. The second book takes place in the Pacific Northwest and has to do with a contagion. So it's even more timely. Oh, wow. uh, the contagion though, in the form of a fungus in, oh, in wow. new plant life. The third book has, takes place in Alaska and has to do with uh, dark matter, mirror matter. Wow. Um, and all of these books are happening simultaneously so that they can be read in any order. And all of them mm -hmm. contain references, including the first one, to what's happening around the world, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a global catastrophe, planetary disorder. And yes, we can certainly relate to that right now. Um, but, you know, one of the things, too, that, that motivated me to write this was, you know, if we feel we're also certain of everything. Mm -hmm. there's, there's an information glut right now. Mm -hmm. We know it all, right? Within, within seconds of something happening in Chicago, in Rio, in Beijing, wherever. Right. You, know, you get on Twitter for a stream of live updates mm -hmm. as people parse out truths. You can, mm -hmm. you can get onto YouTube and get anything explained to you. Like you can have uh, firsthand witness testimony. You can have expert testimony. Mm -hmm. you, you know, people are theorizing back and forth and fighting with each other. And, and it's, it's just like my brain can't process it all. I think everybody feels that way after yes. this past year or after the past four years, maybe I should say. Right. Uh, and I like the idea of creating something unknown. Uh-huh. Because with that comes something that's in short supply. Uh-huh. Awe and wonder. The sublime. I felt like, I don't think I'm alone in this. Over the past four years, I felt like I was getting, I was going numb a little bit. Yeah. You know, I felt like 
I had just, because of the information flooding at me, because uh-huh. of, you know, trauma in the world and everything else, I just felt like I, would, I kind of lost my capacity for awe. Uh-huh. And one of the challenges, the desires when writing this book and the books that follow uh-huh. is that I wanted to feel that again as a writer and hopefully infect the reader with it as well. The sense of the sublime, like something, here's something that defies explanation and upends one's understanding and expectations of the world. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, and I, I, I mean, with your background too in comics and your work inside, I feel like that's such an important element to have in like, these stories of heroes <laughs> is like you have to have all I mean the whole some may say the whole purpose of like a hero is to add wonder and awe into the world into a world that's kind of you know a little bit more uh cynical and <laughs> see needs a hero but like one thing I did I don't I don't even know if is one thing I did notice in this book and I kind of really just like wanted to like ask you about is there is kind of a cynicism in humanity in this book with how like people are the greed and the uh the the what's the worshiping false idols kind of it the corruption that happens all because of this event where i mean it probably was there before but it kind of brought it this darkness out in a lot of people how was it writing that kind of did you have to go to like a cynical place of humanity well i think there's hope partnered with it as well and you see Mm -hmm. in characters like stacy toll who's the Mm -hmm. rookie cop you know that she wants to do right even as everybody else is doing wrong and she has to compromise Mm -hmm. her morals to some degree to navigate this world but there's still hope along that and then there's the characters who uh you know belong to what you would call the cult you know, mm-hmm. the, the metal leaders, um, right. they are, you know, they're dreaming of another world beyond this mm-hmm. world. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at Northern Minnesota as a setting, to circle back what I was saying before, you know, mm-hmm. it's a place where uh, there's been a lot of economic devastation. It used to be the steel capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron Range is where all the taconite came from mm-hmm. and, and that shifted. There's still taconite mines up there, the iron pellets that are sent to steel, but it's, it's not anything like it used to be. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, inc- a place of incredible beauty, uh, but it's also a place where there's a lot of despair. Uh, and, and, and it's also an interesting geography because, you know, who can claim the land? You know, is it native? Is it US mm-hmm. government? Is it, is it Canada? Sometimes it's very com- confusing. It seemed like a good liminal territory like mm-hmm. a liminal space where worlds could uh, melt into each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in a cosmic sense. Yeah. And, and, but even, but in the global sense too, right? I have the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere become the center of everything. So right. that you have Saudis, you have mm-hmm. Chinese, you have Indian investors uh, showing up in, in Northern Minnesota. You have mm-hmm. railways that are going up North full of roughnecks, full of prostitutes. You have a, a rising crime and all of this can, be readily compared to what happened with the Bakken oil formation in North Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. Where that became a kind of temporary deadwood. And there mm-hmm. are some deadwood elements to this, you know, that boomtown feel. Right. Um, and so with that, yes, comes, comes greed, mm-hmm. comes, comes some cynicism, but there's also, you know, if you look at what's happening in the story overall, 
there are all these broken families that are reforming, just like mm-hmm. some people are being broken and then being reformed. There are families right. that are broken and reformed, mm-hmm. uh, sort of surrogate families that unite over the course mm-hmm. of the story. And, and that's the ones that hopefully you connect with most better than the dirty bastards. And like, I mean, listen, there's always a place for the dirty bastards too. I mean, uh, and kind of going on what you were saying, okay. the, the Western vibe of it too is very real. It feels like, um, I mean, I feel like there is a big thing right now with where people are reimagining the Western with like sci-fi elements in there too. I think of like, I mean, the obvious one, Westworld, right? It's been um, really out there, but I feel like there's also in um, a lot of science fiction novels, it's coming, it's it's happening there. Uh, I mean, I think of like uh, Cowboy Bebop and uh, these other, I mean, a lot of anime, I feel like it's done it a lot in manga and, but like, how do you, um, how, how would you, how are you feeling about that state of science fiction right now with like this Western element and even adding to it with this book in this series? Well, I tell you, it's always been there. I mean, Star Wars is a Western. Um, you know, if you look at almost a John Ford Western in the, you know, mm-hmm. more traditional Western in the, the white hat, black hat sense of things. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, the, the space is a frontier, a lawless right. territory. Um, right. And, you know, I've always been interested more in, you know, in my previous life, I was a nerdy professor. Now I'm just a nerdy writer, but I, I used to teach a graduate course uh, mm-hmm. called Rewriting the West. It sort of mm-hmm. tracked uh, the progression of the Western. And I'm looking at like Owen West, Wister's The Virginian, sort of the seminal mm-hmm. text and dime novels and moving forward into everything from, you know, uh, Leslie Silco's Ceremony mm-hmm. to the films of Sergio Leone yeah. um, and, and so on and so forth. And, right. and just the way that you have these archetypes and then people take the archetypes and say, no, that's not the way it actually was, or mm-hmm. I'm going to make commentary through the design of my story that upends uh, whatever point you're trying. Like Sergio Leone's a great example of that. You know, here's the John Ford Western, which is traditional in every sense, um, mm-hmm. including the cinematics. Uh, if you look at a Sergio Leone in the opening of The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, right? Yeah. He, he in- introduces you immediately to this town that seems familiar. It's like a one street town and there's mm-hmm. rib cage doors swaying and there's a yeah. stagecoach flapping in the wind. And there's one dude standing on one end of the street at apparently high noon and another dude's standing at the other end of the street at apparently high noon. And you think you know what's gonna happen, but then you realize, oh, another guy just ro- rode up and joined the other one. And, and one, they're actually wearing brown hats, not mm-hmm. white and black hats and who's on what side and, and then you know, we, we see all these things, again, with a, a rolling tumbleweed and dust swirling, right. all these recognizable elements, but then they actually join forces, rush into the saloon and start blasting away at another enemy who then bursts mm-hmm. out of the window holding a turkey leg with fle- strips of flesh hanging between his teeth and, and a smoking gun in his hand. And it says, mm-hmm. it goes, aye, 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 and says the ugly. And then he jumps on a horse and runs out of town. We go back into the saloon and discover our guy's dead. They've been blasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like immediately uh, in the camera work as well, which is like sudden close-ups and then big wide shots. 
Uh, and sometimes manic pacing, it's like Sergio Leone is basically taking John Ford's Western and snapping it over his knee and saying, like, <clears throat> cowboys are not these knights of the West. They have an ignoble, rapacious presence. And, uh, you know, they occupy a morally ambiguous territory. And, you know, whatever you thought a Western was before, uh, get ready for something new. And right. Peckinpah did that as well. And I, I love that's the more the model that I'm in. You know, mm -hmm. when it comes to this story. That you're just the lawless, the chaoticness of what the West was, right? That's, I mean, that's so, in, I mean, like to remodel the West in this, in this kind of contemporary piece too. That must have, how was that for you in the writing process? Like getting, trying to get that specific like space, right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of in my muscle memory in a way because I grew up out West in Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, every single uh, movie night at my house was either my dad nerding out on sci-fi or my mom nerding out on Westerns. You know, those are their two interests. Yes. <laughs> and, so, and every so what you're saying is you were the perfect, the child who like got both right. of that. You were, the, you were born into the uh, space Western world. Right. And, um, and not just that, but... I mean, every single vacation we ever took, mm -hmm. I'm not exaggerating. I never went to Europe or, you know, Disney World or anything like mm -hmm. that. Every vacation we took was like my parents tossing into the back of the pickup a bunch of, you know, fishing rods and rifles and mm -hmm. pickaxes and shovels and a telescope as well. And we go out camping or rock hounding, mm -hmm. fossil hunting, hunting, wow. whatever. And, and during that, my dad, so here we are out west stopping along the Oregon Trail, visiting mm -hmm. Louisville. Clark landmarks, but also my dad would always set up the telescope when we're out mm -hmm. in these really, you know, no light pollution out in the desert from right. the mountains. And like, okay, let's take a look at this planet. And so oh like all of these things are just like, that's my hard wiring. Right. It's, it's almost like you were raised to be a space cowboy in a way. I'm just saying, I, I'm, I mean, you said in past life, you were a nerdy professor, maybe in the future, you're a nerdy space cowboy. Right. I'm gonna uh, spaceballs too. Sign me up. Spaceballs, <laughs> spaceballs too. I mean, I feel like um, Mel Brooks is ready. It's 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 it has to happen. This one will be a documentary though. Um, is so my next. Let's go into your Marvel background. I would. I mean, I myself am a big Marvel fan. I think we talked before the recording about how I am like too much into the Miles Morales Spider Man world. And yeah, all this, but also, I mean, the X Men have been some a staple of my life too. Since, um, I mean, I feel like I got in. I was the I was the person who, when the movies were coming out, I was like, "Oh, but the comics." <laughs> have you read the comics? Do you know that Wolverine's supposed to be much shorter? Um, do you know that? Um, do you know about the Phoenix? And this was before like X3 came out. And I was like, do you know about the Phoenix Force? Um, no, all this stuff. So like to find out that you were you were a part of this world was like a shock for me in a good way. I was like, oh my God, this is, I don't, I have to like calm down my nerdiness for this. Um, how has it been working in that world? Well, you know, I grew up in a number of places. I moved around mm. quite a bit actually. Uh, eight different schools growing up. Uh, but mm -hmm. but well, the first town that I grew up in, Crow, Oregon, was mm -hmm. outside Eugene. And it was so small that we didn't have a grocery store. We had a mercantile. 
Mm-hmm. And so my mom would take me to the mercantile to go shopping. And she would deposit mm-hmm. me at the end of the aisle uh, beneath the spinner rack. Mm-hmm. And no more spinner racks. I miss spinner right. racks. You go in a grocery store, you go in a gas station, there's a spinner rack full of comics back in the day. So I'd be below the spinner rack and she'd be like, stay. And <laughs> she'd go, you know, trundling up and down the aisles, picking mm-hmm. up groceries. I'm, I'm reading my way through, you know, Swamp yeah. Thing and Warlord and, oh. and X-Men and Fantastic Four and Captain America mm-hmm. and everything else. And, and if I was good, I could, she'd, she'd buy me one comic. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, that's my formative reading experience. I don't remember the first right. novel I read. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, first novel I can remember reading is The Hobbit, but that was fourth grade. So I, don't, right. I was sure I was reading stuff before then, but I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But I remember every comic. I read, Just and that's in part because I would, re- I would reread and reread and reread them until they fell apart. So I'm not, I know it sounds corny, but I'm not exaggerating when I say it's, it, it really is a childhood dream come true to be writing these stories. Wow, um, I mean, that's and, amazing. And Wolverine is my favorite character too. Mm-hmm. So it means a whole hell of a lot to me to be writing, you know, the old knucklehead who is, as you mentioned, square shaped, and we yes, the, the art reflects that. He is the art he, really reflects that. He, he is a you know like myself a square shaped human being. Um. <laughs> no, I mean I feel like the Hugh Jackman of it all kind of took away from that, and I have been wanting justice for Square Wolverine, Square yeah, shaped I mean, Wolverine. He is uh, a hairy, smelly, grumpy. Yeah muscle-bound character who you know ne- never is like whiskey and a cigar never far from the hand yeah uh, and and prefers you know the company of the woods and in in that way i'm writing thinly veiled autobiography <laughs> so you heard it here first wolverine is actually based on the life of ben right now <laughs> i mean that i mean like in even past the you know obvious similarities between you and Wolverine, of course, right? I mean, you do have the adamantium claws. Um, listeners, he's been holding them out this entire time. I don't know, if, just so you know. Um, no, I mean- You have a set of claws upstairs in my office. Perfect, I mean, that's even better. That's, I mean, you have to, right? But like, what about like Wolverine specifically? Like, you do, you under, when you are, when you, even before you started writing him, but also while you're writing him, that you're just like, oh, I can see this. I can picture this. Uh, I mean, it's a number of things. So one of the things is, you know, the, the you know, barely bottled animalism that's within him. Like there's mm-hmm. something that's wild that's caged within him beneath that, mm-hmm. you know, all that adamantium and, and hair and muscle. Uh, and the, oh, the story of the werewolf has always been my favorite monster. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you see that reflected too in characters yeah. like Hulk. Um, but right. you know the fact that he can go unchained and into berserker mode, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he has this history of mind wipes of being used by others, mm-hmm. um, so that he's uncertain of who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a leap here. But the mm-hmm. fact that I moved around so much as a kid, mm-hmm. the fact that I was in all those different houses and all those different schools, right. right, it gave me a sense of bewilderment at times and not really knowing who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
and a constant sense of sort of like who 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 will I be, yeah. you know, and not wanting to be owned by my history. In a way, it's kind of freeing, right? Um, so so there's there's that there's I always I always really just love the 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 sense of atonement that sort of informed his decision making. Mm-hmm. You know, once he wants to do right, but he's hardly a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's just such a complicated dude. I've never really been yeah. able to identify with Superman. Yeah, I mean, um, who can? I, I, I'm not knocking on Superman. Please love mm-hmm. Superman all you want. I'm just <laughs> saying that, you know, he's such a Boy Scout. Yeah. He sort of defies, you know, my understanding of what it means to be human. Um, well, I mean, I feel like Wolverine exists in a very, a, a space between like a Superman character and even like a Batman character. Where like Batman is like so dark that you know exactly what what he'll do every time is like a messed up thing. But like Wolverine is always like trying to be, he's trying to figure out, am I going to do something this dark? Am I going to? But while trying to still be find out what's right and wrong. No, he's yep. it's he's a very I feel like he's one of Marvel's best characters. Um, be from like working so close to a character like him. Is there anything that you think of Wolverine that you don't think other audiences and fans think of? Like, is there some, do you have like this idea of Wolverine that you don't think anyone else does? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because when you take on a character in comics, Mm -hmm. the worst thing that you can do is karaoke. (laughs) The worst thing you can do is be the cover band. Yeah. And, and that's that's maybe the first impulse because if you grew up reading comics, you know you love this character, you want to pay homage mm-hmm. to the past. But whenever I take on a character, what I do is a deep dive into their history. I reread everything I can get my paws on. Mm-hmm. And when I first got on, got hired on at DC, I had a really impactful introduction orientation mm-hmm. to how to write comics, and it sort of guided me ever since. I sat down with Jeff Johns, who's mm-hmm. the chief creative yeah. officer of. DC at the time and also just a fantastic wildly popular comics writer and we had a whiteboard that was floor to ceiling on one wall we had all of windows looking out of Burbank and the other we were in there all day and what we did we we broke down Green Arrow you know we figured out okay what are the best villains what are the best Mm -hmm. sidekicks what are the best love interests what are his essential characteristics his core characteristics uh how can we create new villains that reflect mm-hmm. that? What about the character has been lost and so on and so forth? You know, and one of the things that have been lost is that Green Arrow is, a, when he was originally conceived mm-hmm. uh, by Denny O'Neill, um, he was a social justice warrior. And that political element, he was always calling people fascists and fat cats yeah. and fighting against the man and, and everything else. And, and that had been lost. And mm. it felt like a perfect moment to bring that back. And in doing so, I wanted to create, you know, villains in comics are always almost always like either a dark mirror or an opposite mm. of the main character. So I created one character who grew up privileged like Oliver Queen does, but sort mm. of Trumpian, uh, used those resources and went in a different direction, became the mayor yeah. of Seattle. Then I had an opposite character and I figured out the opposite was if, if he's now this Robin Hood character who's mm-hmm. fallen into the gutter, he lives essentially in Sherwood Forest. He's renounced mm-hmm. his past, you know, 
then I need, I have the Prince John character. Now I need the other character. And it's like, mm. okay, I'm going to make a bank the villain. Cool. You know, and that sounds yeah. boring at first. And that's what Jeff John said too. But then I was like, okay, how can we make it awesome and comic booky? We'll make the bank like a battleship bank. And yeah. it's run by this group called the Ninth Circle. And the head of it is this guy named Dante. And the Ninth Circle is like where you go if you want if you're a villain and want a loan, mm. like a villain can't go into Bank of America and be like, you know, I want to build this really awesome weapon that costs five million dollars. You know, right. they're not gonna be, you have to have like, where do these guys go? So I created this battleship bank on floats around oh. international waters and blah blah, yeah. blah blah blah. This is all a roundabout way of saying that if you're good at what you do and you're writing comics, mm. you are trying to put that indelible mark on the character, right? right? And find your own way. And, and there's an elasticity, right? You can only go so far, like Wolverine can't suddenly retire to Boca Raton and play shuffleboard. Right. And go marlin fishing with his claws or something. Uh, you know, there's, there's only so far you can go, but they right. want a unique moment. And the yeah. unique moment that I've put on this character is that in Krakoa, and for the nerds, people out there who aren't super nerds, like you and me, Krakoa is, you know, the island nation that they now live on, the mutants now live mm -hmm. on is declared sovereignty. And, and Krakoa offers a number of things. It offers like medicine mm -hmm. to the world. So medicine that can fight dementia, medicine that can fight heart disease, medicine that can fight cancer. This medicine is grown on Krakoa because it's a living organism. It, they also have mm -hmm. these gateways. If you plant a gateway, Krakoan gateway here, plant it elsewhere, you can walk through that gateway and be there in a second. You can watch mm -hmm. the sunrise and sunset in a moment. And, and anyways, all of these things, the music, like I'm giving Wolverine for the first time a sense of family, mm -hmm. a sense of nationhood. Mm -hmm. Is he surrounded by his, you know, his fellow right. mutants, mm -hmm. and, and a chance and a chance at happiness. And that's, I mean, something that I, while reading this, and especially like noticing Wolverine's character, who's usually the one who's like on the outside, angry about like just. I noticed that that's I was gonna like even just mention I was like yeah it seems like he has a sense of peace about him now because like yeah he has community he has like maybe even knows himself a little bit more than he would I mean like there was the was he he was a part of the rebirth when they like remade the people so I feel like there is a rebirth in his character as well and being able to like also be like a a figurehead in this world like he is able to like be a a leader a role model to younger mutants like himself yeah, which is still, like he's still of course involved in some dirty business i mean yeah, in x-force you know x-force i reconceived here's my unique mm -hmm. mark on x-force x-force is the mutant cia so yeah. x-force has always been you know doing dirty stuff right. in the past but in this iteration of x-force mm -hmm. if we have a nation Right, I figured we need mm -hmm. a CIA. Yeah, and and I broke it into two branches. There's the intelligence and the mm -hmm. an analyst end, and then there's the field work, the wet work right. agents. So I've got the head and the fist, and mm -hmm. the head, the figurehead for the intelligence end of things is Beast, who's very Machiavellian, and yeah. then the field agent, the head field agent is Wolverine, and those two, you know, they don't they don't always get along. Since day one, <laughs> since day one there, but no, it just like it, no, I, in that, I mean, like the Hellfire Club too, is like been reformed um, as well with this new nation. 
and like villains are now like it's it's interesting to see like a world like x-men well marvel is the world world but like the world of x-men kind of changed in in a way i think the world has also changed like the x-men i feel like especially in a world of heroes that marvel is x-men have always been the disenfranchised the the one that the heroes will call on but then will be like hey you guys deal with your own you guys sentinels that's not our problem um but like it's they they've evolved with the um with people with the with my generation i feel like has gotten so much x-men in terms of like animation uh like films we have at, at this point we've had what two separate x-men casts uh, in yeah. uh cinema two phoenix, movies. two phoenix movies i mean some may say that those two phoenix movies are the same but that's just me that's just me um but two phoenix movies a combination of those two movies days of future past my favorite x no my second favorite because logan is i think cinema just art just pure art piece and i logan was my favorite too because i was a huge old man logan fan for like being a seminal piece of marvel history so like to get a movie based on that oh, amazing yeah logan but, i think up there is one of the best superhero movies along with dark knight yeah yeah dark knight it's for me it's like dark knight logan and ah uh, there was a third one that i just in my head oh, oh sam Raimi spider-man oh yeah or into the Spider Verse is great too. Into the Spider Verse, yes. I mean, I was just here talking about Miles Morales and see me, I'm forgetting it now. No, um, Into the Spider Verse, which I feel like is the first true comic book uh, adaptation, where I'm not saying anything else about others, but this one just felt like I was reading a comic book on screen. <laughs> yeah, um, medium for sure. Uh, it just, it was fantastic. Um, and talking about Wolverine, you've done a scripted podcast, Wolverine, like, uh, yep. series. Was it a, was it a feature? Or was it more of a series kind of thing? Yeah. You know, it's an audio drama. It's a podcast. Yeah. Everyone think of it. It's 10, you know, there's two seasons. Each mm. one is 10 episodes. I wrote all of it. And then mm. the actors play the part. So you're listening to a TV show, I guess. It's yeah. a radio play, except, you know, on steroids. Uh, <laughs> and and that broke my brain. I mean, writing for audio, taking a visual medium mm -hmm. and writing for audio. There are right. so many challenges. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, try to write a, how do you write a, how do you write a fight scene in audio? Right. Just without completely confusing your audience. Exactly. Uh, I, you know, I wrote two of those seasons. And then I, I, on June 1st, the same day that the Ninth Metal, my new novel mm -hmm. released, I have, uh, a new podcast series coming out called Old Man Star-Lord. And that is, you know, so the Old Man universe, you talked about yeah. Old Man. So it takes place in the near future and the villains have risen up and, mm -hmm. you know, Thor's dead, Captain America's dead. Like the, it's a, there's been a villains uprising. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so Quill and Rocket, the guardians of the galaxy are no more. Quill and Rocket operate mostly as scavengers and smugglers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're getting a little creaky. Quill's a little yeah. Lebowski-esque at this point. And they come back to Earth on a mission and, and have no idea what's happened. And so you're with them as they discover that, you know, the world is now a wasteland. And oh they have God. to rise up to the challenge of this time. And it stars Chris Elliott as Rocket, Timothy Busfield, oh. 
Star Lord, it's Quill. Uh, it's got Vanessa Williams and Danny Glover in it. Like it's Ooh, pretty that's, fun. I mean, what a voice cast I have on this. No, that's where can we listen to that when it comes out? And you can listen, listen to, to any any. I mean, if you listen to if you want to start by listening to Wolverine, you know that's mm -hmm. available wherever podcasts are streamable for free. Um, this Old Man Star Lord is launching with Sirius XM Pandora uh, mm. and Apple and Apple all okay. at the same time. Oh wow! No, that's amazing. And I mean, like what you said, it's it's all visual. Like the comics from the comics to the movies, the TV show. So like to do something audio only, what a amazing feat to accomplish yeah. that. So. One of the things I did was I studied all the different podcasts I thought were working. And mm -hmm. if you look at, you know, nonfiction shows like S-Town mm -hmm. and uh, Serial. And if you look at, uh, you know, audio dramas like uh, Homecoming, you know, the thing they all had in common was that they're interrogative in the way that they're formatted. So that a Q&A element is not a natural part of it. Like Homecoming mm -hmm. is all about a therapist interviewing patients. Mm -hmm. um, Serial is all about reporters, you know, interviewing different people mm -hmm. and when you do that I borrowed from that and I made it about two federal agents they're the point of view characters in mm -hmm. the, in and in that's that's the Wolverine series in the in Old Man Star Lord I have this thing called the recorder which is mm -hmm. a Regillian recorder it's an alien sort of surveillance drone and they're mm -hmm. situated all throughout the galaxy and they're basically yeah. like chroniclers of history in the making mm -hmm. you know I try to find ways to cheat uh, the delivery, because if you just have like, here I am walking down the street, moving towards yeah. old man Withers house on this sunny day. And it is the anniversary of old man Withers death. And his ghost is said to appear here, uh, you know, when the moon is full and whatever, if you, if you try to force feed all this exposition into dialogue, it's awful. So if you have a Q and a, you can do things like, you know, where were you on the night of this? And then the person is like, blah, blah, blah. I was on my boat and it was foggy. Well, tell us more mm -hmm. about that. I was driving out, you know, shuttling out through the choppy water. And then I came upon this abandoned ship and then mm -hmm. starts to talk about how they get on board. And then you can sort of ease into the past mm -hmm. and hear the squeak of their boots on the deck and the waves crashing and the creak of the hold when they open it up and click the flashlight on and see mm -hmm. the bodies in the hold beneath. And, you know, you can do all that like a, a but you bind together the past and the present and create this synthesis of sound. Interesting. And that's like, I mean, I've listened to a few scripted podcasts and that's something used, but you uh, vocalizing it that way, I've realized that's been kind of like the success in it. It's just like that kind of, I mean, in a way, tricking the audience into thinking that it's um, into getting that vibe or vibe is not the right word. A, experience no i can't think of the you word can set, you know you can set the table with the yeah. with, with the in interrogation uh you can get into it so much quicker mm -hmm. just laying it all on the table there and being like where were you what time was it what was happening right and then you ease into the actual story right the no that's i mean amazing and i have time for one more question for you before yep. we have to wrap up. But I I mean, as a person who's loved comic books for my entire life and reading just that graphic novels, to talk to a person who's writing it, I have to ask for me and for other people who you know might one day be in that industry, do you have any advice for people starting off for writing for like this medium specifically? Yeah, well, you know, when I, let me first say, 
I started trying to get into comics in 2009. Mm-hmm. That's when I submitted my first pitch. And mm-hmm. it was called Red Moon. And mm-hmm. it was like Vertigo, it was a Vertigo series. That's what I imagined right. it. it was all almost all of my favorite like old time series of Vertigo comics. Vertigo is amazing, yeah. Sandman or, mm-hmm. or uh, Preacher, whatever. You know, it, it's like the yeah. HBO comics. So I, I pitched this, this werewolf series mm-hmm. and rejected it. But my agent says, like, this is pretty solid. Like, I think you should write as a novel instead. It became my breakout novel. Yeah. Um, but I never stopped submitting. I was like mm-hmm. submitting, submitting to submitting to Vertigo to Vertigo to Vertigo to DC to DC to DC. And mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, I met up with the, an editor for coffee when I was on book tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, got a tour of the DC offices and I submitted a total of 47 pitches until oh, wow. they finally said yes, 2009 to 2014. Wow. I mean, so the thing is, and the thing is that, you know, just rejection is part of the process. It's one of the things right. I'm trying to do. But also, even the script that I broke in with, and I broke in with Batman, which is as mm-hmm. auspicious as you can get. I did, didn't take that for granted at all. Mm-hmm. It was after that much rejection. But even the script that I broke in with was a rejected screenplay that I had gotten passed around Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just pulled out my main character and put Batman in it. Yeah, that's. I mean, <laughs> all of this rejection informed my final acceptance. But also, you need a side door. You need mm-hmm. to either have written for TV and published mm-hmm. some novels if you're going to write for Marvel or DC, or mm-hmm. you start off writing for some of the smaller publishers, either mm-hmm. for web comics and webtoons is a great way yeah. for people to make a splash these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's presses like Oni and Lionforge. There's yeah. presses like Boom. There's presses like IDW. There's all these different mm-hmm. places out there that you can publish. And then the DC and Marvel editors are all watching those places and then pulling talent up. Yeah. So I mean, like to do one of those two things to find your way in because right. they, you know, they don't like to open up the door. I mean, like uh, you said, Boom, and that's like one of the, I, my favorites right now. Who's putting out like new work newer work that no one's heard of and like um all these others i mean webtoons i have friends who've started off that way you know it's very this is that's amazing advice thank you for that and i know that there'll be a bunch of listeners who maybe one day will pitch to you and be like hey i have this idea so want thank you for that um and thank you for this podcast this has been an amazing episode um do do you have anything you would like to say to the independent bookstore community um who just in just the independent the independent like bookstore community and just this any kind of bookseller community sure i mean my i live in the town of northfield minnesota um content books is my local indie and it is you know more than a bookstore it's a community center Uh you know it's a place you go to talk about things and i don't just mean events I just mean in a water cooler sort of way mm-hmm. and you go in there and, and they're handing you books and saying, this yeah. is, this is for you. You know, they, they know when you walk in the door or mm-hmm. you're like, you know, I just read this, heard this podcast or read this article about and they're like, Oh, you got to read this book too, uh, to inform, you know, what's going on. And, yeah. and, and I mean, it's the, it's the crown jewel of my, of my town and all across this country, I, ha- I know that the same thing is going on. Right. Uh, and, and beyond that, 
I also know that I wouldn't have a career if not for indie booksellers, you know, hand selling my stuff. Yeah. So. I mean, your book is Red, Red Moon is still featured on our shelves, right? I think right now we have it based yes. out. It's, and it's a, it's a great seller. And I know a bunch of booksellers who um, sell it all the time because it's, and like, I mean, that and like, I mean, especially in the science fiction world, and even the fantasy world, like, which I feel like there's a, they play hand in hand, but like, it's uh, the booksellers who kind of like really go to that because we're I mean it's it's so it's such a distinct and like amazing world that authors create authors like you create that we just like want people to escape to whenever I think of like I'm, a person comes to me and I'm like I want to escape this novel I'm like let's go to sci-fi let's go let's right. let's let's grab a great book there so now I'll have another great book to add there with um the knife metal and I'm excited for the comet cycle series to come out yeah, but I, I appreciate the help and getting the word out and, and for, you know, putting anybody, uh, you know, dragging it dragging anybody over to a bookshelf and saying, hey, maybe think about about taking this home with you. That means the world. Yeah, no, and it, I appreciate it. Uh, you coming on here and sharing this with and sharing this with our audience and our uh, community at Skylight. So I appreciate it so much. Um, in your book, the nice for a person. Soon. Yeah, no, and one day I hope it comes soon, right? Well, um, the book The Ninth Medal by um, Benjamin Percy is when this podcast airs, should be on sale at Skylight and it will be on display on our podcast section. So please come on by and pick up a copy. But or you can order online at www.skylightbooks.com and have that book either you can pick it up at the store or have it shipped to you. And we thank you again to our audience and to Ben for being here today. And uh, to my beautiful listeners, you have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.